it's time for everybody's favorite thing. Rumors, rumors, off-season rumors, some of the trade variety, some of the free agent variety. What players are the Pacers connected to? We'll break it down into three categories, talking about them all, and if they make sense on today's Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today, draft coverage is done. It's free agency. Tell it's over now here on the Locked On Pacers podcast. Today, diving into the rumors, the six players that I think have had the most common connections to the Pacers this offseason. In fact, the only six that, to my knowledge, have had a multiple credible link. So let's set some ground rules here before we get going. You, listener or watcher on YouTube, might be thinking, I saw this player link to the Pacers. Why didn't Tony talk about them? I have rules and standards for rumors. It has to be multiple people who I believe are credible or mixed in that I have potentially heard about it myself. It's just one person who I think is credible, or if it's a couple of people who I don't necessarily think are credible, they do not make the cut today. The most noteworthy player in this is Kyle Kuzma, who has had one credible connection viewer report to the Pacers, but that's it. And it was a bit ago, so he does not make today's show. Uh, but the other six have, and I think they make sense. And I've broken them down into three categories for you today. We'll start with the trade slash salary dumpage section, even though they're not really salary dumps. They're both good players. Then we'll go to... Um, fours and threes section one's a trade guy and one is not a trade guy but they're not as much salary dumps as much as they are talented players who can play two positions and then we'll close with two guys who are not three fours but are instead either different combos of positions or in one guy's case exclusively fours it was kind of hard to figure out which two guys to fit in which section we'll start with a section that i'm titling in my notes Salary dump ruse. That is not the perfect way to describe these players. They are both very talented, but part of the reason they could be available to the Pacers this offseason is financially related, CBA related. We'll start with the one that's maybe had the most uh, fire on it this offseason. And I think the chances of it decreased a little bit via a trade made earlier this week between the Hawks and Jazz via John Collins. But that's DeAndre Hunter, Hawks forward DeAndre Hunter. Uh, the, the, my list of people who has connected this to the Pacers is um, Jake Fisher, Scott Agnes, and Jonathan Gavoni of Draft Express. This rumor's been out there for a minute. It came out from Jake Fisher initially that... The Pacers and Hawks apparently touched base about this at the trade deadline. I'm kind of intrigued by that just because Hunter's contract as it stands has the poison pill provision, and it's very hard to trade until July 1st, so it would have been very hard to do at the deadline. But um, big picture, before we dive into the player and the fit, is this would be a very Pritchardy trade if the Pacers get DeAndre Hunter. Now, the reason he's in this section is he's on a four-year $90 million deal that can get up to 95. He's got some unlikely incentives involved for like winning defensive player of the year or making the finals. Um, but it's not super expensive, but it hasn't started yet. It starts this coming season and it's four years with no options. And the Kevin Pritchard, not the Kevin Pritchard special, I guess that's not the perfect way to put it, but the way Pritchard has operated in trades since 
becoming the head of the Pacers is young players under contract for a while, even sometimes lesser proven players or guys that are considered overpaid in other situations, have been things that he pounces on and has gotten a lot of value out of. TJ Warren, Victor Oladipo, Karis LeVert, DeMontis Sabonis, even Tyrese Halliburton, a lot of the biggest acquisitions in this front office's regime throughout trades have fit, fit that. You could count Malcolm Brogdon in there as well. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing a guy or two, but you get the gist of what I'm saying. If you think Brogdon was a signing, yes, but it was a sign and trade, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, there's a lot of ways you could think about it, but this is very much the MO of this front office in that DeAndre Hunter is only 25. He's only been on one team and has kind of been finding his way with a Hawks team that has a lot of stuff and guys and is kind of good, but it's still like if he was 10% better at several things would be a lot better, right? 35.6% from three for his career. That's pretty good, but not great. 4.3 attempts per game. Again, pretty good, not great. Pretty good score in general, though. Like 45% from the field is fine. 15 points per game last year. Decent rebounder. And the appealing thing to me is he's a solid defender. That was He's not awesome at it, but he's solid at it, right? That was one of his reps uh, coming into the pros from Virginia. Tony Bennett's program typically turns out those guys. And he's 6'8". And he can play the three and the four. Like, in theory, a lot of the boxes he checks are important for the Pacers. Now, the thing about this one is that I find fascinating, at least, is, you know, before the John Collins trade, right, the Hawks are running into a lot of, not financial difficulty, that sounds a little too extreme, but in general, in their situation, they were trying to free up money to potentially get away from the aprons and under the tax and all sorts of stuff. And, you know, there's been some reporting that they still are. And that is where the Pacers could theoretically uh, figure something out here. You know, by doing the Collins for Rudy Gay trade, they got way under still uh, at least a lot of those thresholds. But they're only 13 million from the tax. Like that's enough for your MLE, but that's your whole offseason. Maybe if you free up some more space, you could do a little more stuff. And they have to worry about imminent extensions for guys like Clint Capella and Dejounte Murray and Anyaka Okongwu before their team gets even more expensive. So there's lots of reasons for the Hawks to financially consider moving a guy who may not be in their biggest future plans. Now, maybe he is, and this doesn't make any sense, especially now that they've gotten off Collins for a little salary. But DeAndre Hunter, to me, makes a lot of sense for the Pacers because he can play the three and the four at his size. He's a decent shooter. He's a decent defender. He can score it. And perhaps in a different situation, he could really pop with new coaching or something like that. It's a good second contract buy to me. And I don't think he's that overpaid. I mean, that's a lot of bones, but... To me, solid starters are going to cost $20 million in the new CBA. They just are. I know a lot of people will disagree with that. I've seen a lot of chatter about that uh, in the internet space these days. But I think at any position, a solid starter is going to cost you almost or over $20 million at every spot. And I think he can be more than that as he grows into his prime, only making $20 million a little over that this coming season. I think if this is plausible for the Pacers, it makes sense. The question is, what is the trade value going to be, right? Because clearly a goal for the Hawks should be long-term cost cutting so is that a cheap player is that an expiring contract do they want what picks do they want as well like pick seven was definitely too much but is there something to be had there i'm not going to guess at his trade value but this definitely passes the smell test uh and to me if the pacers could pull this off would be a pretty good move depending on what the value ends up being the other salary dumperoo player who's going to be discussed in this segment is tobias harris tobias harris uh less classic pacers target in that he is not as young as DeAndre Hunter. He's 30. He turned 30. Uh, he turns 31, excuse me, on July 15th. So he's a little older. He's also super expensive. This season, 30 
$9.2 million contract. Now let's pause before many of you just say, why would the Pacers ever do that? Because yes, that's a huge number, perhaps so high that it doesn't make any sense to do. But usually the reason a team hates to take on a big money contract like that is the opportunity cost, right? Once you have that player, you can't spend that money on something else. Well, this coming season is the last year of Harris's deal. So if you know that the best thing you can get is Tobias Harris, you're not limiting yourself from doing something else. And the NBA now very, very, very strongly encourages teams to reach the salary floor before the season starts. So adding a player who makes that much money for a Pacers team that has a lot of salary cap space theoretically is a way for the Pacers to reach the floor because they got to spend money somehow uh, to potentially do a two-for-one consolidation trade if they wanted to you know, potentially sign someone else and get a good player. Tobias Harris is good despite being incredibly overpaid. That's not a secret. Like he has been a, a he's a 16 points per game score throughout his career. In his four full seasons with the Sixers, he's at 18 points per game score, making 38% of his threes. He hit 39% last year. I don't think he's quite as good of a defender as Hunter, but he's very close, right? Like he's good. <laughs> he's good and he's a forward and he's 6'8", like Hunter. Like to me, the reason that the Pacers should, could, in theory, do this one is that they could get a good player for very little if the Sixers are just willing to move Harris to free up money. Now, the reason the Sixers would do that is if they think... I'm making up a lot of stuff here, and I hate when people do this, so I'm sorry I'm doing this, but like, if the Sixers retain James Harden and if their team becomes expensive as a result, perhaps they could go, uh-oh, you know, we could either free up money to do some more spending somewhere else, or we could duck the aprons, or, or even balance out our team's finances in a way that makes more sense if we trade Harris for cheaper stuff elsewhere. Now, that's a lot of ifs, right? That requires them retaining Harden and a number that's really high, and then figuring out everything else from there, which isn't like completely unreasonable, but you know, we'll see where they're at because even without Harden right now, the Sixers are just 7.2 million shy of the luxury tax, right? So if they're able to trade Harris for way less money and Hey, the Pacers could help them do that. All of a sudden, there you go. Uh, Oh, I I just lied to you about that luxury tax number. Either way, um, retaining Harden would get them so close to the tax. Harris would get them enough away that they could use the full non-tax mid-level like if the pace, like this is not a trade I would do, or maybe I don't know. I'm not gonna make up a fake trade, but if the Pacers could send out, you know, not a ton of salary and bring in Harris, I think that would make sense because again, he is good. He would fit very well, at the, and he could play the three and the four. The reason that's pivotal for Hunter and Harris and a guy we'll talk about in a minute is Jarris Walker could play next to them, right? Anyone you the Pacers bring in that's just a four, sure they need fours. That's great. Depth is is huge, but it limits the opportunities for the rookie and. I think that, given the history of the Pacers and Rick Carlisle, you can expect about 28 minutes per game for Walker this coming season. How are they going to get that if there's someone who needs more minutes right in front of him who can't play any other position? So I think Harris is good. Obviously, the, the contract means this is not the first move you try to go make, right? If you do this early on in free agency, that's a very big indicator that you don't think you can get anything better with your space. But because it's the last year of this and it would not impact them in any future spending situations and having his bird rights, quite frankly, could be pretty valuable. This one also passes the smell test for me, although it would not be to me the Pacers first choice. The reports here, by the way, Scott Agnes, Philly Inquirer, uh, Keith Pompey of the Philly Inquirer have reported Pacers connections to Tobias Harris. That's the salary dumperoo section of this. Our next segment, I'm calling three slash four types. Guys who can do what I just said, play the three or the four not necessarily totally impede the minutes of one Jarris Walker, a.k.a. I think they would be a good fit for the Pacers in free agency for one reason 
or another. One of them's a trade candidate. One of them, a signing candidate. Let's get into that after the break. But first, guys, let me talk to you about Prize Picks. It's daily fantasy made easy. What is Prize Picks? It's simple. Will Shohei Otani continue his terror as the best player in baseball by having more or less? Then, then 1.5 hits in a game. That's all Prize Picks is. You pick two to six players while they score more or less than the Prize Picks projection on a number of stats. You can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. It's not you against other people. It's just you versus their projections available. They have projections on any sport you watch: NBA, NFL, MLB, hockey, baseball, anything you name it. They got it. You can make your picks in a minute or less. It's easy. It's safe. They have fast withdrawals, and it's currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. Download the Price Picks app or go to PricePicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code LOCKEDON. If you deposit $100, Price Picks will give you $100. If you deposit $50, Price Picks will give you $50. Don't forget that promo code LOCKEDON and sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100 at Price Picks Daily Fantasy. Made easy. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today. And every single day for your second list and hop on over to any of the teams that are already a part of the transaction cycle. A lot of guarantee dates, option dates, really heavily involved right now in the cycle. Eric Gordon got waived late last night, locked on Clippers for that. Uh, we saw the John Collins trade, locked on Hawks or locked on Jazz for that. Any number of teams that you think have already made an interesting move, there's many places for you to go. Let's continue on this rumor path by talking about two players that I think could play the three or the four that have been tied to the Pacers. One is via trade. One is via signing. These are not salary dump like the last segment. These teams that these players are on or were on do not have as many financial constraints. But I still think they're attractive options for the Pacers because they can play two positions, even though one of these guys isn't my favorite. But it doesn't matter what I think. We'll start with the free agents. Many ties now from this player to the Pacers. And that is one Harrison Barnes, former Sacramento Kings forward. Today, it was reported again, uh, I believe by Jake Fisher was today, but we've heard this one from Jake Fisher and Mark Stein now that the Pacers could potentially have interest in Harrison Barnes. And hey, if you've been listening to this show on the free agency preview for the power forwards at Ethan Krieger, you heard Harrison Barnes get a lengthy amount of discussion. Why? Because of his many ties to the franchise. Played for Carlisle for multiple seasons with the Dallas Mavericks, including his highest scoring season ever. Uh, played with Tyrese Halliburton for a season and a half with the Kings and was one of his key vets, along with Buddy Heald, uh, along with being one of Buddy Heald's key vets, I should say, uh, with the Kings, has won a championship, is a decent player on both ends of the floor, and like I said, can play the three or the four. Um, both of their, their reports cite Halliburton and Carlisle and the Pacers' interest uh, in Harrison Barnes. So, this one definitely passes the smell test for those external connections. There's no trade involved here, so this one's a little bit easier to kind of discuss, right? It's not like there's anything that matters from a King's perspective. Now, I will say, James Ham, uh, one of the King's insiders, one of the great people, the Kings have such good coverage for that team. Uh, James Ham reported yesterday, he said, according to a league source, the Kings and Harrison Barnes camp have restarted talks. No warrant of failing sign an extension. Uh, he covers the Kings for Kingsbeat.com and ESPN 1320 out in Sacramento. Uh, very plugged in with that team. Either way, um, he could return, right? He's going to have leverage to get money, and he's a little on the older side. Older is a stretch. He's 31, right? He'll be 31 for all of the next coming season, right? He is definitely a talented player. This past year, 15 points, 4.5 rebounds per game, 37% from deep, 47% from the field, right? 
can do a little bit of everything on the offensive end. It's not like he's weak finishing from anywhere. His true shooting percentage has been well over 60% each of the last three seasons. His turnover rate's mostly low. His rebound rate is eh, but like a lot of his indicators, like his free throw rate was good last year. His three-point attempt rate is good. A lot of his indicators are like, this is a great role player. Now, he's not a ceiling raiser. I don't think anyone thinks that, but he's a great floor raiser with a lot of connections to the Pacers franchise. To me, that's a pretty good fit for what they need. And a key part of this, again, like I said, is I think because of his size, because he's mobile enough, because he can make threes, he can play the three or the four. It's not like he's limited to just the four. I think that's crucial for the Pacers. Like he'd probably start if if I weren't uh, at like potentially next to Jarris Walker, even potentially. I don't know what Walker's role is going to look like. I just think it's important that any forward the Pacers bring in can slot in next to Walker just for minutes distribution purposes. But either way, a lot to like about Harrison Barnes. He's in this tier. I explained this on the show with Ethan, where you know to me paying them a lot of money is kind of like. Yeah, your team's better, but they're not going to make your team so much better that they feel like the greatest investment. So you're not like so excited to be paying that player what that costs to get them. But they definitely improve teams, right? Like to me, he's more of a final piece than a first piece for a lot of teams. Either way, though, he would help the Pacers. He made 18 million last year with the Kings. I would guess he's worth about that still going forward. I don't know what kind of years he'd be looking for because this could be his last big contract in the NBA at age 31. So he's an interesting one in the years versus dollars debate. If it goes lower on the dollars, it would take more years and vice versa. The interesting thing is though for him, and this is true for a lot of guys, and I'll get into this more tomorrow. Rhett Bauer and I are going to talk about Pacers free agency and storylines and all that. The Pacers are about 18 and a half million from that salary floor that I mentioned earlier that they are strongly, strongly, strongly encouraged to hit by the NBA now. And if Barnes doesn't cost 18 and a half million dollars, but the Pacers sign him, now they're short of the floor, but they have a full team. They would have filled it up. And that would strongly suggest they're going to make a trade in some way to get the rest of that salary. There are other ways they could get it. But in general, you know, if they sign somebody who does or, or add somebody who doesn't quite make that much to cover the difference, you know, you can know and rest assured that the Pacers offseason is not over. They're going to do something else. And Barnes is not quite in that tier. Tobias Harris and Hunter could be enough, depending on what the Pacers would send out for them. It depends. But uh, a guy like Barnes is right on the fringe. But perhaps starting him at just enough to get to the floor is a fair deal that would really help the Pacers financially keep some flexibility, make a lot of moves happen. I'm just spitballing on values that make sense for him, but he's a good player. He can play two important positions. Wouldn't probably be my first call if I was the Pacers, but is certainly a good player. Another one here. This one was from uh, Draft Express in their pre-draft coverage, Jonathan Gavoni, and then also from Scott Agnes in one of his pre-draft stories as a trade candidate. This was before the draft, so perhaps there's nothing going here now. We can you know, still talk about it, though. That's Dorian Finney-Smith with the Brooklyn Nets. He signed a four-year, $55.5 million contract before last season. So he's in the second year of a four-year deal. But the final year of that is a player option at $15 million. When that player option comes up, though, he'll be 32 going on 33. That is right on the line to me where he'd be considering Am I worth more than $15 million at this time? It's hard to say if he's got two guaranteed years left or three. That one's hard to say. And because of the years and age, it's not a perfect Pritchardy guy like DeAndre Hunter was. But Dorian Finney-Smith, oh boy, is that a good fit with the Pacers. Like Harrison Barnes, he played for Carlisle before. In fact, prior to last season when he got traded to the Nets, his whole career was with the Mavs. He was a key trade piece 
in the Kyrie Irving trade. Like, he had that much value in that deal. He's not like a stat patter. He's only cracked 10 points per game once in his career. But he's been a really good shooter, especially since he started really taking them in 2019-20, right, the year before the bubble. Since then, five attempts per game, 38% from three, about a 10 points per game score. The big thing with him is defense. He's a great perimeter defender. Uh, His defensive Advanced stats are all very solid. His three-point attempt rate is good. His true shooting percentage is either solid to good. Oh, his last two full seasons with the Mavs was over 60%. He struggled with the Nets tremendously at the end of last season. New system, new creator, a.k.a. no Luka. But Al Burton's quite a good creator. Um, so he'd be a pretty good fit with the Pacers to me. The question is, what are you willing to give up for him? Especially at this stage of a rebuild for the Pacers, right? That's a tricky value for me to kind of contextualize in my head, given that he just switched teams and kind of had his worst stretch in a while for the Nets, and his playoffs was not very good either. So uh, he's definitely interesting, and I think he's a great fit for the Pacers. And to circle back to something I've said a million times in this show, he could play the three and the four. He could play him next to Jarris Walker, on top of Jarris Walker, whatever, for any number of time and be fine with that. He's a great fit for what the Pacers need. He's not super expensive, only at $13.3 million. So he would be one of a few moves to me if the Pacers are able to get him. But why would the Nets trade him? Good question, listener who didn't may or may not have asked that question. This is not a salary dumperoo because it's $13.3 million. I got to quit saying that phrase. I made that up before I started recording, and I'm just realizing how silly it sounds. Either way, the Nets are not ridiculously expensive. Like right now, they're pretty far from the tax. Uh, and so the reason they would do it is just roster balance, really. They have a lot of wings who might play with Mikael Bridges and Joe Harris and, of course, Fiddy Smith and Rice O'Neal. And maybe they want to play Cam Thomas. I, but it doesn't make sense to me that they'd be, like, rushing to trade Dorian Finney-Smith. They don't have a reason to, but he does fit a good need for the Pacers. And if the Nets were looking to balance their roster, some perhaps he'd be the wing they are willing to trade. But I would not expect, especially if they keep Cam Johnson. He's a free agent as well. I, I forgot to mention his name. They drafted Derek Whitehead. He's not quite a wing. Noah Clown, he's not quite a wing, right? But Cam Johnson, if they bring him back as well, like Finney Smith is probably being paid a little too much for the role he would have. So in theory, I would get it. But I don't see why the Nets would be in an absolute rush to trade him or anything like that. So this one seems like maybe a little pie in the sky, but enough credible people have done it, and it makes sense to me, and I definitely wanted to talk about it. Last segment today, two players who are not 3-4s. To me, they don't. They can't play the three or the four. They can either play the two or the three, or the four and the five. But they've been connected to the Pacers more than once, and they're pretty good. We'll talk about those two guys to close out today's show, including one guy who Mark Stein called the Pacers potentially the favorites to get late last night. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day. For your second listen. Hop on over to Lockdown Heat, figure out how they could get Dame or what they could do if one of the players we're about to talk about could potentially leave their team in free agency and what that could mean for the Miami Heat. Two more players that I want to talk about today, both free agents uh, this coming offseason. The first one is Max Struess, not a 3-4. He is definitely more of a 2-3. This one surprised me a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Uh, Mark Stein of the Stein Line tweeted earlier today, an apparent favorite is emerging in the race to sign Max Struess away from Miami in free agency. That team being the Pacers, his exact story verbiage is, sources tell the Stein Line that the Indiana Pacers, who are projected to have more than $30 million in salary cap space, are strongly weighing a three-year offer for Struess in the $48 million range. To me, first and foremost, 
He's a 2-3, so there's definitely some intrigue for me on what that would mean for the Pacers. Uh, Jake Fisher, by the way, the other person who I've seen report this one, who was also on Wednesday. I believe it was yesterday. Um, Max Drews is good. Let's start there, right? Max Drews is a good player. He's really struggled in the finals, right? The most recent time that he's been seen play wasn't good. So, of course, me saying he's good is very easy to say. In the regular season, played 80 games, um, 11 and a half points a game, shot it well from three at 35%. Um, the year before, he was a 41% guy from three. The first three rounds of the playoffs, he was really solid as a player and a scorer and a defender. Or like He is a good player. There's a reason that you know Zach Lowe's talked about this. This has been buzzing around the league for a while, is that he's probably going to get a little more than maybe starting at the mid-level exception, maybe a little more than the full mid-level exception, right? Players who can do what he does are valuable to teams. Uh, this one's tricky for the Pacers because they already have a lot of two threes, right? I did a little write-up on this one on all Pacers. And, you know, as good as, as Struess could be or is, right, on a team that already has Ben Matherin, Buddy Heald, Andrew Nemhard, Chris Duarte, Aaron Neesmith, right? It's Ben Shepard even in that mix. It's a little harder to figure out exactly what Struess's role would be unless other moves happen. And like I mentioned earlier, Signing him for three for 48, yeah, that's fine value. He's good. Like I said, he'd firmly be in the mix for minutes on this team. The Pacers need wings. He's a wing. He can shoot it. They would still be short of the floor. So this would not be their only move, right? So, yes, talking about the logjam at that off-ball guard spot matters in this discussion, but they would certainly be making another move. And I said this after the draft, too, right? People were talking about the guards, lots of guards. I said, well, let's see. What happens at free agency before that discussion becomes a big one? And lo and behold, Mojave King, draft and stash coming like that clears it up a little bit. Who knows what else could be coming for the Pacers in terms of other moves and trades? Like it's too early to judge any roster imbalance. But signing Struess to me, especially at a deal that would still keep them short of the floor, would strongly indicate they're going to do something else as well. Here's the thing. Again, the, the high level to me is Max Struess is good, and it would indicate more moves are coming to me. Now, I won't say that I know that. I won't. I don't know what the Pacers are thinking or what their alternatives are or what Struess's goals are or anything like that because that was, quite frankly, an interesting part of this to me. Like, if he's a, maybe he doesn't – He like, this could be his only chance at a big deal. He's on the minimum the last two seasons, but – you know, certainly minutes and opportunity for a 27-year-old would be something he pursues. And with the Pacers, with Heald and Matherin, and like I said, Ben Shepard and Nemhard, like it's not like there's a ton of chance for him. That fit doesn't seem perfect to me, but it would make sense in that he could play on the wing and he's good and he can shoot it. Um, so this one is maybe the worst fit of every player we'll discuss, but it's still a good player. And if you can get his services for that money, sure, likely another move is coming, uh, but a good player nonetheless. Definitely not a 3-4. He's too short for that. He's about Aaron Neesmith's height, a little shorter than Chris Duarte. I'm wagering a little bit here just based on my interaction standing close to players, but that is about what I would reckon. So Shrews, uh from Mark Stein and Jake Fisher. Our last one today, if you've been listening to Locked On Pacers for a long time, boy, are you going to laugh at this one. Grant Williams from the Celtics. Uh, this one has been reported by Mark Stein and Jake Fisher, or no, excuse me, Jake Fisher and um, Brian Robb from Mass Live are the two who've had this Grant Williams one. This one's really interesting. So Grant Williams, uh, before Jairus Walker to me, oh, what a fit. Okay, so if you've been listening, the reason I alluded to past Lockdown Pacers episodes is because if you've been listening for a while, you'll remember how freaking high I was on Grant Williams before the draft in 2019. Him and Brandon Clark were my dudes that year. Um, Brandon Clark turned out to be better. Grant Williams. Now, he's good. The Celtics letting him get away would be interesting to me. 
Uh, the reason they would or maybe would is a lot of financially motivated, especially they just added money in this Porzingis trade, right? And so keeping Grant could push them closer. I can't remember what line, but I think they would go over the tax and closer to one of the aprons, keeping Grant at what it seems like it would cost to keep Grant Williams. Grant Williams, 24. If you can get a guy who's 24 under contract for a while and is still growing, generally something I think teams should pursue. He's this stocky four type. The tricky part for him is they picked Jairus Walker. Jairus Walker is now on the Pacers. Grant Williams can't really play the three. He's not that level of quickness, right? He can shoot it really well, 38% for his career. Really was stroking it the last two years, over 40%. In the playoffs, he's been at 43% from three. Like He's definitely a shooter. His stockiness and smarts on defense, stuff that I loved about him in the pre-draft process, have stuck in the NBA. He's a good defensive player. Um, his true shooting percentage for his career is nearly 60%. He gets up threes. He doesn't turn it over that much. Like A lot of his metrics are good. If you've watched him play, I think he's good. It was one of the bigger storylines of the playoffs to me that he wasn't playing. Why weren't the Celtics playing Grant Williams? Super weird. Potentially a factor, or excuse me, potentially a data point in them not retaining him. If they don't, the Pacers do make sense. Like He is good. He would fit them very well culturally and as a player. If you can shoot threes and play defense at the four, you can truthfully play in any team. He cannot play the three, right? So it's a little trickier to figure out exactly how he and Jairus Walker and then also Miles Turner and whatever bigs you consider, because Grant could probably play the five better than the three, how that would all mesh, how the minutes would blend for those players. Because here's the thing. I think Grant Williams is good. If the Pacers can get him on a deal that's fair and makes sense, I mean, you could say that about any player, truly, but if the Pacers can get him on a deal that's fair and makes sense, yeah, they should do it. He's good and young, and it's really hard to poach players from teams who are good and had just finished up their rookie scale deal after being a first-round pick. But there could be some logistical hurdles, like other teams could be coming for big money here. The Celtics could, in theory, just keep him as a restricted free agent, especially if they can shed money some other way. Like This one isn't perfect for the Pacers, but it would make a ton of sense to me if they kept him because he is talented, right? He is a good player and one that I have long had an affinity for. But his fit is allow a little worse with the Pacers just because Jairus Walker's in the mix and he can't play the three. Maybe he can. I mean, he's only 6'6". That does not sell his size well, though. He's very much a stocky 6'6". 6'6", 236, almost 240, right? He's a big dude. So it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens with him and if the Pacers truly are in the mix. But before the Jairus Walker pick, I thought that one made a lot of sense. Now I think it makes only some sense, but it still does make sense. So that's the non-wings category here. Max Struess, who is kind of a wing, and Grant Williams. To me... A lot of these guys do make sense. Like if any one of these six players ended up being a Pacers signee, yeah, that would definitely add up given what the Pacers have said their goals are and what their finances are. But basically all of them, besides the trade guys at the beginning, would also signal to me another move was coming just because of the financial aspect of this. The salary floor matters here. And I think because the Pacers have 14 contracts and they're so far from the floor, I think they're going to be a little bit busier of a team in the next couple of days. We'll see. They have no deadlines coming up like these other teams who have been waving and doing all these options. We might not hear anything from the Pacers till free agency starts. We'll see tomorrow on Locked on Pacers. Biggest storylines and things to watch in free agency for the Pacers. Rhett Bauer is going to join us to break down all that stuff. And then I'll probably just click record at 6 on Friday and talk through stuff as it happens. If the Pacers keep Tyrese Halberton on an extension, 
they that's it. They get a great free agency grade for me, even if they strike out on all six guys I named today and don't have the best time getting a wing. They'll have a good offseason to me. If they can keep Halliburton for a while, we'll see how it all goes. If you have any questions or think I missed anybody through the rumor mill, comment down below on YouTube or tweet at me at Tony R. East. And this podcast is at Locked on Pacers. If you want to hear more about Jarris Walker, Pacers recent lottery pick yesterday's show with Brian Nash, the interview is a great show for you. You'll learn a lot about Jarris Walker, his growth and development, what he could bring to the Pacers. I really enjoyed doing that one. There's also a write-up at Pacers SI. Thank you guys a ton for listening today. Back tomorrow with more free agency topics. Have a fantastic day. We'll see you soon.